Good morning, everyone. My name's Josh, one of the pastors here. Great to see those of you who are not away for the long weekend, or maybe you are away, and this is your place that you're away to. Welcome. You know, sometimes uh, you read a passage of the Bible, and as you read it, uh, it kind of just, the words just hit you, right? It cuts you deep. Uh, it causes you to fix your eyes on the good things of heaven or just speaks into something. You go, man, this is so relevant to my life. I can just see it playing out and how I need to do it. I expect you weren't feeling that as we read Isaiah 58. Was that you? Did you? See, this is a 2,700-year-old ancient text that talks about a slightly obscure topic of fasting. Not many people would practice it. You might if you're on a diet. Even if you are, that's kind of not what it's talking about exactly here. Why are we talking about Isaiah 58? What's so important? Well, I want to say that this is a passage that actually matters hugely and is extremely relevant. See, it's a passage about a group of people who are engaging in spiritual activities, spiritual things, in order to be in touch with the spiritual realm, to, to live the spiritual life. They're trying to connect with God, who is spirit, and receive his blessings. Really, you could say it's a passage about spirituality. It's people trying to live the spiritual life, which is massively relevant for today. See, people are increasingly spiritual. Uh, on our census things, less and less people would say that they're religious, but more and more people would say that they're spiritual. That might be you. But what is true spirituality? Is there such a thing? Is all spirituality good? Whatever you do, as long as it kind of works for you. Well, in this passage, we have a word from the living God, the one who is spirit, and he's going to speak to us directly about spirituality. How extraordinary is that? And what we'll see is that not all spirituality is good spirituality. In fact, there is such a thing as true and authentic spirituality, and there's such a thing as false spirituality. You can get it wrong. I want to say it's worth seeing what God has to say on this. But that might not be you. You might be someone who considers themselves part of the people of God. And if that's you, then you'll also care deeply about spirituality because you want to relate to and be connected to our spiritual God. And Isaiah 58 is particularly talking to his people about their spiritual practices and activities. And I know that this might sound a bit too much like a BuzzFeed headline, but it is genuinely shocking what he's got to say to his people. I want to give it away at the start. We'll get there in the text. This is a passage about spirituality, about true spirituality, and it really does have a lot to say to us today. So let's see what God has to say. Point one, if you're a note taker, false spirituality. Have a look at verse one. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob, their sins. This is God speaking, telling Isaiah the prophet, go and find the loudest thing you can get, set up Woodstock 2.0, get everyone's attention, and when you've got the crowd's attention, I want you to yell out this. My people are massive sinners. They are completely rebellious against me. He doesn't say, go just... Pull them aside quietly, have a gentle, private word of rebuke. It's loud, public, confronting. It's a heavy start. 
So what are these people like? What have they done that's got the Lord so riled up that he wants to blast them from the rooftops? Have a look at verse 2. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. Let's get towards the end of the verse. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. This is a people who seek God. They want to know his ways. They want to draw near to him. They want to connect with him. Verse 3, we learn that they're into spiritual activities or spiritual disciplines. In, in this case, talking about fasting, which is literally to afflict yourself by not eating food. I want to say this is absolutely terrifying that verse 2 comes after verse 1. That you can look good and yet be called out by God as completely sinful. It means that it's possible to be a person who looks very spiritual, who's into spiritual activities and spiritual disciplines, who seeks God and wants to come close to God, who thinks that you're right with him. But in reality, God would declare that you're very far from these things, that you're in rebellion against him, that your spirituality is completely false and meaningless. Isn't that terrifying? It's very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. I've got it up on the screen. Matthew 7. Jesus says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, says Jesus, I never knew you. Depart from me. Jesus is talking about the final day where we will stand before God and there'll be people who say, Jesus, we did all these things in your name by the power of the Spirit. We were incredibly spiritual. And Jesus will reply, it makes no difference. I don't know you. There'll be people, people in churches even, who are doing spiritual things who will think they're okay before God, but won't be. That is terrifying. Because it could be me. It could be you. Imagine standing before the holy God of the universe on the last day, having lived your life, thinking that you're okay with him, and then find yourself cast into hell. There is nothing more terrifying. And so what's wrong with what Israel are doing? Come back to Isaiah, verse 3 we see the heart of their false spirituality. Verse 3. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Uh, they're engaging in outward spiritual activity. They, they look good, but they're doing it to seek their own pleasure, to seek their own benefit. They're fasting in order to try and get God's blessings, that, that he would answer their prayers and be close to them. And in doing so, they end up oppressing others and failing to love people. And no matter the outward spiritual things they do, their spirituality is false and condemned by God because of their heart. They seek their own pleasure, their own benefit. I love that our church is, is really is full of spiritual people, people who want to live the spirit-filled life, who want to be connected to and be in a relationship with God. 
But there's a clear danger here, isn't there? Do we express a form of spirituality that that looks good, but really is about pleasing ourselves, bringing ourselves some kind of benefit? I reckon there's two categories where we can be in danger of doing this. Uh, The first is to be like Israel, who we can do spiritual activities for our benefit to, to try and get things from God. Now, you'd never think about it like that, but you can kind of tell this is along the lines of the things that you think or do when you either think, I deserve certain things from God, or when you think, I don't deserve certain things from God. Uh, For example, you might think, God, why haven't you answered my prayer? I've been faithful. I've gone to church for ages. I read my Bible. I say my prayers, but you're not answering me. Why? I've done something for you. Now it's your turn to do something for me. Well, maybe you've thought this before. God, why do I have this sickness? Why am I struggling financially? Why are my relationships falling apart after everything I've done for you? I don't deserve it. It can be easy to fall into the danger where we pursue spiritual activities for our own pleasure to get benefits from God. We think we deserve it from him on the basis of what we've done. The second way I reckon we do this is we can pursue spiritual activities for our own pleasure and benefit so that others will praise us for how spiritual or godly we are. I reckon you can tell this is a danger for you if you're uh, much more or maybe only interested in serving in the high-profile positions at church, things where you'll be seen, where people will know that you are very spiritual and very godly. But it's very hard to get you to put your hand up to set up the chairs, to talk to someone who doesn't look like they know anyone, to pray regularly for Rod and the ministry at church, because no one will know if you've done that. Or to give lots of money, because no one will know if that's ever happened. You can tell if there's a a difference between the you at church and the you at home, right? Where you're lovely and full of kind words at church, so that people will think, man, this person is great and godly. But at home, you regularly speak in very harsh words. Or you're very different on Friday and Saturday night compared to Sunday. I wonder if Rod was invited to where you were on the weekend, would there have been any differences? All of these things are ways that we work, do spiritual things for our own benefit and our own pleasure to try to get something from God or from others. Now, this is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus called out the religious leaders for in his day. Uh, They would walk around making a show of how uncomfortable they were when they fasted and did spiritual things so that people would be very impressed by the lengths that they went to to be very spiritual. But Jesus saw straight through them. And he sees straight through us. God wants to get our attention and yell from the rooftops, this is sinful. This is not the true spiritual life. So what is true spirituality? What does God have to say? Well, the key is, it's not about pleasing ourselves. It's about pleasing God. It's not about pleasing ourselves. It's about pleasing God. And so what is it that pleases him? Have a look at verse 6. We're at point 2, true, spirit, uh, true spirituality. Verse 6. This is God speaking. Is not this the fast that I choose? 
to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? The fast that pleases God isn't about lying around and being caught up in your own misery and hoping that God will bless you through your spiritual things. He says the fast that I desire is to be involved in serving others, acting to see justice done, the oppressed freed, the hungry fed and the poor cared for. God desires a fast that's all about loving others, which is great and also kind of weird The kind of fasting that God wants has nothing to do with not eating food. What's going on? Remember what fasting really is. It it literally means to afflict yourself. And God says, instead of giving up food and focusing in on yourself, it's much better to afflict yourself by loving others in a costly way. Give up your convenience. Give up pursuing your own interests and comfort. Give up your time, your money, and your effort. And go love people. And when you start to think about it, there is so many things that you could go out and do to love those who need loving. I'm, kinda, I'm very hesitant to give you a list of things you could do because I don't want to restrict you. There's a million things you could do. God wants you to grow a love for others. Consider your resources, your time, your money, your skills. And go out and love people. We've got people who need food around Maroubra Junction. You could give to the Partners Relief Fund at church where we support and help people in our church, in our community who need support. Uh, You could sponsor a child through the Compassion Organization that helps children in poverty around the world. There's a million things you could do. True spirituality, God says, is one that seeks to please him by loving others. True spirituality is one that seeks to please God by loving others, which is very different to what Israel were doing. And it's very different to what lots of spiritual people and books about spirituality would say today. Lots of those kinds of things would say, go away somewhere by yourself, go up to a mountain, think deeply about yourself. You have to go internal to be spiritual. But God says, go outside of yourself. Please me by thinking of others. Go out and love others even when it costs you. It is a great and beautiful picture, isn't it? But how can you possibly actually live this way? We're at point three. See, the problem is that Israel didn't love God or love others. In fact, after centuries of being God's people and trying to live for him, we learned that all they did was fail in sin. The whole reason that we have this book of Isaiah is because Israel was so completely hopeless at these things that God needed to judge them. They couldn't please God. And we are in exactly the same situation. None of us love God or love others perfectly. So is this just a call to be better? To try harder to please God and maybe you'll get there one day, but you probably won't and that's just bad luck. I reckon best case scenario is that we can do some of these things a little bit of the time, but never perfectly and never consistently without stuffing it up. So what do we do? Well, God knows this problem. He's not oblivious. He rightly calls out our sin, but he doesn't leave us to fix a problem that we can't fix. 
If you were to skip two books of the Bible and you get to Ezekiel, he's a prophet who's around just a bit after Isaiah and God makes some groundbreaking promises through him, which foreshadow and show how God is going to deal with this problem. Got it up on the screen, Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules." God recognised that naturally we are unclean. We have these hearts of stone that are unable to, to listen to or to love God. On our own, we can't live the truly spiritual life that God desires. But the promise is that God will do something. He will put his very own spirit in us, change our hearts so that we can listen to him, that we can please him. It's one of the most extraordinary promises in the Bible. And we get to the New Testament and we see passages like Romans 8, where we see this promise get fulfilled. I don't have it on the screen. I'd love you to turn there. We're going to do some flicking. You might want to keep a finger in Isaiah, but go to Romans. Get to the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then Acts, and then Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and then have a look down at verse 8. It says, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Kind of reiterating that naturally we can't please God. We can't live out true spirituality on our own. But verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. See, it's possible to be someone who's changed, to have God's Spirit live in you, for Ezekiel 36 to be fulfilled in you. But it says, if, if that's you, who's the you? How do you receive God's Spirit? Jump back up to verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation, for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You can receive no punishment for your life lived pleasing yourself instead of God. You can have the life of the spirit and be set free in Christ Jesus. Did you see? to enjoy the promises of the Old Testament, to be truly spiritual and receive the Spirit of God himself, you need to be in Christ Jesus. What's that? To be in Christ is to be united to him by faith, by trusting in him to take hold of the promises of God, where you can receive the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection, forgiveness of sin so you're not condemned to eternal death, to receive the Spirit so you can have new life and live in a way that actually pleases God. This is the heart of true spirituality. And there's two key things that come out of it. 
The first, and if you're a note taker, this is the key to write down. True spirituality is living a life of love and serving the needy as the fruit of your Christian life, not the root. I'll say it again. True spirituality is living a life of love and serving the needy as the fruit of your Christian life, not the root. The root of true spirituality is trusting in Christ's merits through his death and resurrection. That through faith in him, you can have forgiveness and have Jesus' righteousness so that when you stand before God on the final day, you will be saved by what Jesus has done, not by anything you do. Isaiah 58 is impossible to achieve. We can't live spiritually well enough on our own. We are sinners who need forgiveness and we need to trust Jesus. That is the root of true spirituality. But having been rooted in Christ and therefore given God's spirit, the fruit of that is that now by the power of the spirit, you'll seek to live differently, to love and to serve with the heart of God. Not because it saves me, but because I am saved and that changes me in every way. And so now I can go out and love people empowered by God. True spirituality is living a life of love and serving the needy as the fruit of your Christian life, not the root. And that leads to the second thing. That in light of Jesus, love takes on a new dimension. Loving someone by giving them food will help them live another day, and we absolutely must do that. But now there is an even greater act that can be done to love the poor and the hungry, which is to feed them with the bread of life that will give them life forever, while we care for their spiritual needs. The most loving thing you can give someone is the good news of Jesus, because that is the thing that enables them to live forever. This also means that the definition of who are the poor and the hungry is much widened. We saw last week that the whole world is actually hungry and thirsty for a relationship with God, lacking the food we truly need. Everyone needs the good news of Jesus. Every person is spiritually poor, even if many of us are physically rich. Giving someone the good news of Jesus is the greatest act of love because it is what they need the most. But if you do it without caring for physical needs at all, you are significantly lacking in love. When you get this, it kind of explodes what true spirituality is. So how are you involved in loving others, in the great act of loving others? Are you involved in it? You can be involved in a whole bunch of ways. You can be involved in informal ways at church, in positions that we have to kind of help do that. If you want to get involved, chuck something on your Connect card. We'd love to get in touch with you this week. But you can be involved in all kinds of informal ways at church, encouraging each other. We did, just before I came, the one-anothering stuff. We want to one-another each other with the gospel, encouraging each other with the good news of Jesus. You can do that all the time. We want to share the good news of Jesus with friends and family. That is what they need the most even if you feel like they don't want to hear it. How will you get involved in this great act of love? True spirituality is living a life of love, exploded by Jesus, and serving the needy, widened when we understand what it truly is. 
as the fruit of your Christian life, not the root. Which brings us to point four, the last section. Back to Isaiah 58. Hopefully you had a finger in it. I didn't. So let's go back and find it. As Sam says, if you're kind of roughly halfway in your Bible, you're in Isaiah. If you hit the Psalms, you're a little bit too early. Flick a couple pages forward. Isaiah 58, verse 13, where we see this amazing paradox. Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honourable, if you honour it, not going our own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. God has now moved from talking about fasting to keeping the Sabbath. But really, he's talking about the same principle. He's applying it to a different spiritual activity. And he says, if you stop seeking your own pleasure in doing these spiritual activities, whatever they are, there's many, and seek to please God in them, then you shall take delight in the Lord. What an amazing paradox. If you make your own pleasure, your own benefit, and your own delight, if that is your aim, you'll never get it. You'll have an empty spirituality that God will judge you for on the last day. But when you give up your own desires and seek to please the Lord, then you will find true delight. Do you see? And it'll be delight in the Lord, lasting, satisfying, and life-giving. So what is true spirituality? Is there such a thing? Is, is all kind of spirituality just good, whatever you want to do, as long as it works for you? And how do you know if you're someone who thinks that they're spiritual and right with God but aren't, like Isaiah 58, or if you actually are? True spirituality is living a life of love and serving the needy as the fruit of your Christian life, not the root. Have you put your trust in Jesus as the root of your spirituality? Have you received his forgiveness? Have you received God's spirit? I want to say it's worthwhile doing if you haven't yet. If you have, are you living out the fruit of your trust by loving others with the heart of God even when it costs you? What would it look like for you to go out and do that? What would that look like? Because that is the life that pleases God. That is the life that is truly spiritual. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are blown away that even though you know us, you know us to our core and you call out our sin, that you don't just leave us in it. You care for us, you love us, and you've done something about it. Thank you so much for sending Jesus that we might have forgiveness and that we might even have your spirit, your very spirit living in us. We pray that we would be spiritual people, not going off into a cave and thinking deeply about ourselves, but we would be those who trust Jesus, receive your spirit, and then seek to please you by loving others. 
we pray you would give us this heart and help us to do it. We pray we would love people physically and we pray that we would do the even greater act of love and give people the bread of life, show people the great news of Jesus. And we pray you would be doing that in and among us, particularly this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.